Good morning. In today's headlines, former President Trump calls charges against him ridiculous and baseless. We have more on his response to the federal indictment, what some analysts have to say about it, and what's next in the case. Dramatic developments in two separate inquiries in the UK. Former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson quits Parliament and former Scottish leader Nicola Sturgeon is arrested. They spent more than five weeks in a Colombian jungle. We have an update on the four kids whose mom tragically died in a plane crash, leaving them to fend for themselves. Anxiety disorder is the most common mental disorder according to the American Psychiatric Association. We hear from an expert with some tips on anxiety relief. And NTD's international figure painting competition has returned. The competition centers around the theme Pure Truth, Kindness and Beauty. We hear from the jury's chair on the importance of this traditional art form. Happy Monday, everybody. Today is June 12th, and I'm still by myself for these two days. But don't worry, Kevin will join us again very soon on Wednesday. Let's get started. Our first news comes from Philadelphia, where a portion of a vital highway has collapsed. The culprit was a fire in a tanker truck carrying gasoline beneath an overpass. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro reacts. I found myself, you know, thanking the Lord that uh, no motorists who were on, 95, on I-95 um, were injured or died. Uh, just a, a remarkably devastating sight, um, one that our first responders, law enforcement, uh, and others um, contained very, very quickly. They got people out of harm's way. Shapiro said fully rebuilding the roadway would likely take months. Roughly 160,000 vehicles use the highway daily. No deaths or injuries were reported. Officials say the situation remains fluid and that investigators were still searching the scene of the collapse. The White House has offered assistance to state and local officials. Former President Donald Trump is set to arrive later today in Miami, and the city is already embracing for potential protests as a legal battle unfolds between Trump and the federal government. Joining us now is entity's Iris Tao, who's on the ground in Miami. Iris, what's going to happen there? Good morning, Evelyn. So here we are in Miami, outside of the federal courthouse, where former President Trump is expected to make his appearance here on Tuesday for his arraignment. And this, of course, comes after another historic indictment last week, which makes Trump the first ever U.S. former president to face federal charges. Specifically, this indictment here focuses on the documents that Trump took home to Mar-a-Lago from the White House when he left office in 2021. And the federal government is now alleging that Trump willfully retained classified documents on national defense information, conspired to obstruct justice, and made false statements. But of course, Trump is fiercely defending himself by saying that he had already declassified these documents while he was still in office. And he's also calling it another political witch hunt, which he says will not prevent him from running again in 2024. And also made this public appeal on True Social last week, saying that see you in Miami on Tuesday. 
Wednesday, basically calling for his supporters to come down here to show their support on Tuesday when he comes here to the courthouse. But actually, even before that, on Monday, which is today, a group of Trump supporters is already having this, what they call a flag-waving event outside of one of the golf courses under Trump's name here in Miami. And they say that Trump is expected to arrive here later this afternoon. So we are going to see a large number of demonstrators, of course, from both sides coming here to the courthouse on Tuesday. But we're also going to be seeing what Mr. Trump potentially have to say today before his Tuesday arraignment. Of course, we're also going to look into a press conference by Miami's mayor this afternoon about what security measures will be in place ahead of Trump's arrival. Evelyn. Thank you, Iris. Trump called the charges in the federal indictment ridiculous and baseless when speaking in Georgia over the weekend. He attended a GOP convention in Columbus and then in Greensboro, North Carolina. NDD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on Trump's response and what some analysts have to say about the case. Trump said the federal indictment against him will go down as one of the most horrific abuses of power in the history of the country when speaking at an event in Georgia on Saturday. What's happening to our country is a disgrace, but I promise you this, if you put me back in the White House, their reign will be over and America will be a free nation once again. The former president maintained his innocence and declared that as president, the documents at Mar-a-Lago in question fell under the Presidential Records Act. You get indicted over the Presidential Records Act, which they don't even admit they call it the Espionage Act. The 2024 presidential candidate and others allege the indictment was timed to take attention off an emerging alleged bribery scandal centering on President Biden and that it's a politically motivated hit job to try to keep him out of the White House. He compared it to tactics used in Stalinist Russia or Communist China. Trump says the indictment has moved him up in the polls and driven fundraising through the roof, and that if he wasn't running for president again and doing so well in the polls, there would be no indictment. And attorneys general and local district attorneys to interfere in our election at a level that our country has never witnessed before. These criminals cannot be rewarded. They must be defeated. We have to defeat them soundly. Analysts weighed in on the federal indictment and how it could affect the 2024 presidential race. Biden's approach with regard to the charges themselves is likely to be what it has been all along, which is to remain quiet and silent and not to breathe, you know, not to offer any um, uh, hint that he's been involved or that um, he cares about anything other than the rule of law being protected. Some feel from a political, strategic and legal standpoint, Trump would do well to use the indictment to attract public attention and bolster his campaign and fundraising to strengthen his chances to win the presidency. Because winning the presidency means these federal charges vanish. As president of the United States, he can direct the Justice Department to drop the charges against him. And if he had already been convicted by that point in time, he could at least try and pardon himself, which is a completely open constitutional question because we've never faced it. Other analysts feel a plea deal would be a wise decision. We're in the high 90 percent of all federal cases and in pleas. It's something like two or three percent of federal cases result in a trial. An idea one of Trump's attorneys from another case laughed at. Any chance that he would take a plea deal, especially if there is, you know, he's he's got the state indictment in New York. No, I could never imagine. I know I would never advise that especially when he's not done anything wrong. You take a plea deal to make something go away, that's an admission of guilt. Trump is due to make his first federal court appearance Tuesday in Miami.
Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And now some short headlines from around the world. Italian former Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi died today. The 86-year-old billionaire suffered from leukemia and had recently developed a lung infection. He passed away in a hospital in Milan. Berlusconi was the founder of Italy's largest media company. He was convicted of tax fraud in 2012. Three years of his four-year sentence were covered by a pardon. Ted Kaczynski, otherwise known as the Unabomber, is dead. Unnamed sources told the Associated Press he died by suicide. Kaczynski admitted to 16 bombings between 1978 and 1995. His terror campaign targeted what he believed were the evils of modern technology. Kaczynski was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic after his arrest in 1996. He was serving four life sentences plus 30 years. An American musician has been arrested in Moscow on drug dealing charges. Michael Travis Leak is a former paratrooper and a musician. Officials say he will remain in custody until August. He could face up to 12 years in prison. The U.S. has repeatedly warned its citizens to leave Russia since the war in Ukraine began. That's due to the risk of arbitrary arrest or harassment. Britain's former Prime Minister Boris Johnson quits as a member of Parliament on Friday evening before the release of a report on whether he lied to the British Parliament. The parliamentary inquiry looked at whether he lied about lawmakers breaking COVID-19 rules during the pandemic. Johnson has compared to an in the inquiry to a kangaroo court. The former Scottish First Minister was arrested yesterday. It's part of an ongoing police investigation into her party's finances. There are allegations that $750,000 raised for a potential Scottish independence campaign were used elsewhere. The former leader insists beyond doubt she's innocent of any wrongdoing. Four children missing for more than five weeks in Colombia's southern jungle are recovering well. The children survived a May 1st plane crash that killed their mother and two other adults. They range in age from 1 to 13. Doctors say the siblings are being hydrated and stabilized. They suffered insect bites and other minor injuries during the ordeal. A tragic accident in Australia. At least 10 people died and 25 injured when a bus carrying wedding guests crashed yesterday. The 58-year-old driver of the bus is under arrest. He was taken to a hospital for mandatory testing. Police say the accident appears to be a single vehicle collision. The crash occurred in an area famous for its vineyards and wedding spots. Coming up, over a million cars were stolen in the U.S. last year and this figure is rising. So what can you do to protect yourself from being a victim of car theft? And meet the couple for whom fate turned up in the form of a text message. The surprise encounter brought them together and changed the course of their lives forever. More on that after the break. Welcome back, everyone. New York City recently sued Hyundai and Kia, saying their cars are too easy to steal. Almost a thousand were stolen in the city in just the first four months of this year. So on that note, how can you prevent your car from being stolen? And what should you do after it's stolen? Entity's Sean Marshall tells us. Car theft has been consistently rising in the U.S., with over a million stolen in 2022. That's around $8.9 billion worth of stolen cars. 
What is the best way to protect your car from being stolen? It's up to you to be responsible for your vehicle, where you park it, how you park it, and of course, not making it open for people to think this is an easy vehicle to steal. Lauren Fix is an automotive expert at Car Coach Reports. She spent over 20 years advising people on car theft. She has some tips. Obviously, like a car. Don't leave cash or anything enticing in the vehicle, whether it be a radar detector, a navigation system. You can buy a security system, and there's some pretty advanced ones and some simple ones. Some are standard with the vehicle when you purchase it. You can also buy something like a club or some sort of security system that locks the steering wheel so it will deter visually someone thinking, I'm not going to steal those cars. It's just not worth it. There are also different types of kill switches you can add to your car. These can shut off your engine if your car is stolen. A fuel system relay switch will prevent your car from starting unless you've activated the switch, and it's usually kept in a hidden location. The thief who breaks in simply won't be able to go anywhere. There's also a battery switch which lets you disconnect the car battery remotely. Other tips? Park in well-lit areas, preferably in a place with security cameras. Get a GPS tracker to hide somewhere in the car. This lets you track your car's location. And if your car is stolen, the first thing you should do is contact the police. Give them the vehicle ID number, the license plate number, and a description of the car. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And from safety to health, anxiety disorder is the most common mental disorder according to the American Psychiatric Association. And today, anxiety among our youth is increasing. A new study published in Pediatrics showed that few are getting the right treatment. Kids and young adults usually receive medication, not counseling. I spoke to Dr. Mark Goldstein. He's an author and former UCLA professor of psychiatry. He gave me some tips on how to relieve anxiety. When our adrenaline goes up, it triggers something in our body called cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone. And, and I bring this up because one of the ways to reduce anxiety is to uh, uh, trigger a hormone in you called oxytocin. Oxytocin is emotional bonding. And one of the ways you can do that is having someone walk you through it. You can walk people through their anxiety up until feeling calm. And one of the ways you do that is after you do the breathing, you say, what happened? What triggered this? And then you get them talking. What did you think when that happened? What did you feel when that happened? Oh, I felt anxious. Uh, what does it make you want to do? And I want to go back to, you know, the differences between anxiety and a panic attack, what you just mentioned, what you had mentioned before. What is the difference there? How do we know which is which? Well, I think what happens is when you have your first panic attack, you really feel like you're having a heart attack. You don't know what's going on, and you get panicky, and you go to the emergency room. Here's an interesting insight that I've recently uh, learned. Anxiety is having an expectation of something in the future not working out. So if you think about it, depression is having an expectation of something that didn't work out and you were counting on it and you can't let go of it. Oh, I can't believe it didn't work out. I can't believe I lost my job. I can't. And so you dwell on that. So depression is having an expectation uh, that you can't let go of. Anxiety is having an expectation of something in the future not working out and not being able to handle it. Yeah, I think I'm going to lose my job. Oh, 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 we got into an argument. I think we're going to get divorced. And what I say to people 
is after you go through some of the steps that I've suggested, it's a way to develop your uh, your expectation and disappointment muscle. So every time there's an expectation that doesn't work out, it's a chance to be able to handle it. So if somebody realizes they have a lot of anxiety, it's, 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 it's common for them, what adjustments should they make? So I think breathing is probably the best immediate thing. Also, what you're doing is you can't be aware and anxious at the same time. Anxiety constricts your awareness. The more you increase your awareness, it seems to lessen anxiety. And I think part of that, when you increase your awareness, you're connecting with the outside world and emotional connection increases oxytocin. And if you look up oxytocin and cortisol, they counteract each other. I think there, it seems like there is so much that we can do for ourselves and help ourselves in that case. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark Goldston. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you for always having me on. 14 years ago, a woman in her early 20s sent a text to the wrong number and ended up meeting her future husband. Now they're parents to six kids. The couple says it was fate that brought them to each other. Here's the story. It was the year 2009 and Brenda had just moved from Minnesota to Georgia for her job. While working, Brenda would occasionally take a 500-mile trip to Ohio to visit her mom and her younger sister. During her many visits to Ohio, she met her sister's friends and saved their contact information. Little did she know that this would change the course of her life. One day in October 2009, Brenda was going to send an uplifting message to all of her contact list as part of her daily habit. I was starting on my day by putting out a Bible verse from the book of Philippians in the Bible. To her surprise, within 20 minutes, she received a rather unexpected message. And they said, amen to that, who is this? So I reply and I'm like, hey, it's Brenda, you know, Roxy's sister, remember me, you're my mom's neighbor. And the person replies, no, I don't think we've ever met. My name's Isaiah Stearns. Isaiah Stearns, a stranger from Ohio, had just activated his new number when he first received the text message. It was more like a source of encouragement uh, already in my walk with God. And um, it kind of uh, just kept me, kept me going. That's all, all it really was. Though Brenda apologized for sending the message to the wrong number, the conversation did not end. But as we uh, continued in our conversations, um, something was developing there. After conversing over the phone for the next month, they could not help but feel something deeper, they say. Brenda followed her heart and went to Ohio to meet Isaiah and instantly felt at home with him. After dating for three months, Isaiah was certain. There's no reason to wait. Uh, I knew that she was right. She was the one. Fourteen years later, they continue their conversation in southwest Ohio. The difference? Along with six children. And if I had sent that text in the morning like I was planning, he would have never received it. So the way that everything was orchestrated is just... It tells me that it was orchestrated by God, that it was 100% fate. It is just so amazing. It gives me goosebumps. Brenda and Asai continue to be led by faith. 
They homeschool their children and also teach them to be faithful. As a family, we have like family worship in the mornings and family worship in the evenings where we'll read the Bible together as a family. And then we'll just, you know, talk about what that means in our lives. And at the end of the day, we really just want to teach our kids to be kind humans, to be empathetic and to leave people better than we found them. I think when you have faith and you're a believer and you live your God, uh, your life honoring God, I do think that things are shaped in a way that they become a blessing. Even the things that are that seem like problems or difficulties, I do believe 100% that they can be blessings in disguise and they can be turned around to um, be blessings to you and blessings to others. Anna Rodriguez, NTD News. Coming up, Novak Djokovic makes history at this year's French Open after defeating Norwegian Kasper Ruud in the final. And Poland's Iga Swiatek secures her fourth Grand Slam title by defeating Czech Karolina Muchova. We have more on that after the break. Good to have you back. We're going right over to France, where Novak Djokovic won a record 23rd Grand Slam singles title at the French Open yesterday. He defeated fourth seed Casper Ruud in the final with, with a 7-6-6-3-7-5 victory. Djokovic tied with Rafa Nadal on his 22nd title by winning the Australian Open in January. Sunday marked his third Roland Garros title after triumphs in 2016 and 2021. He's also the only male tennis player to back each of the four majors at least three times. And in the French Open women's singles, Poland's Iga Swiatek secured a solid victory on Saturday. She defeated unseeded Czech Karolina Mochova 6-2-5-7-6-4 in a thrilling final to capture her fourth Grand Slam title. Swiatek lost only two of 26 Grand Slam matches since moving to world number one in April last year. The 22-year-old is also the youngest woman to back consecutive trophies at Roland Garros since Monica Celeste, who won from 1990 to 1992. Her win puts her even, even with modern-day three-time champions like Serena Williams, Monica Celeste, and Arancha Sanchez-Vicario. And we have some exciting news at, this, uh, at the network. Traditional painting techniques will be showcased in NTD's sixth international figure painting competition. We hear from the competition's jury chair who describes the importance of the orthodox art form. Let's take a look. After four years, the NTD International Figure Painting Competition has returned. The competition is centered around the theme, Pure Truth, Kindness and Beauty. It requires participants to use the traditional realistic method to complete their entries so that human society can return to the orthodox art form that was passed down by the divine culture. This is the purpose of the traditional culture handed down by divine beings. God not only created humans in his own image, but also established standards for human behavior and culture. So people can return to their original home in paradise only by following the traditions and the path of the traditional culture passed down by divine beings. Throughout the history of human art development, artistic works have had a direct effect on the social atmosphere and people's values. Professor Kunlun Zhang also pointed out that the artist's moral quality will influence the message and value of the piece, along with viewers' aesthetics and mindset. 
One modernist artist who is very famous used realistic approaches to present modern ideology. Many museums are holding art exhibitions or making collections of his paintings. But after participating in our competition, he realized his old methods were wrong. He said, this competition held by NTD has such a wonderful theme. He too wants to go back to the traditional way. The competition also wishes to encourage artists to take on social responsibilities and work collectively to revive traditional values. The duty and responsibility of an artist is to use their work to elevate the ideological level of human society and optimize the entire civilization. In this process, they also develop their own powerful virtue, paving the way for them to return to the heavenly world. The registration deadline for this year's competition is June 15th. Shortlisted works will have the opportunity to be displayed in New York City. There will also be cultural exchanges, auctions, and other activities. Shortlisted works will also have the chance to be selected for the global exhibition. Some artists have commented that the competition organized by the NTD is like a lighthouse in the dark that lit the path of navigation. So many excellent painting. The focus is on truth and beauty and art. So thank you very much, and I'm honored to meet all of you. Being in this competition kind of just gave me the support I needed and the energy to keep going. Since NTD held the first competition in 2008, it has attracted an increasing number of artists to devote themselves to artistic creations. It has also received attention from the international mainstream art world. In the last competition held in 2019, 260 artists from 46 countries gathered in New York City. And I'm an artist that's been painting for over 50 years. I was just thankful that I was in the New Tang Dynasty competition. There were artists from all over the world. And the subject matter was very compelling. Their purity is beautiful. And it makes me feel good that the competition make them more aware of the goodness God provides. God is giving us all this beauty. You know it when you see it. It makes you happy. Faye Quarter, NTD News. What a fascinating take on art and beauty. We're wrapping up here. That's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you as usual. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Have a great start into your week. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee.